Hey everyone, before we start today's episode, I just wanted to give a shout out real quick to two awesome podcasts that we've really been loving. One being your new best friend podcast and the other Hillbilly Horror Stories. Both are extremely entertaining and provide great content and we've absolutely been loving them lately so we would love for you guys to give them a listen. Their links are down below. You can follow them on Instagram as well as listen to them on iTunes podcasts. Let them know that we sent you and give them some love. And now on to our show. Due to the mature content of this program, listener discretion is advised. Thanks for tuning back into the Depths of Darkness, the podcast that dives deep into all things dark and wrong in this world. We're your hosts, I'm Mandy. And I'm retired Major Huge Ass. Coming at you. In your face. Oh my. Welcome back, everybody. Feels like it's been a hot minute. (laughs) Only on our end. You guys get episodes weekly. But on our end, it's been a bit. So, hi, everybody. Hope you're all doing great with this quarantine action going on. I hate yeah, it. we're digging it. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest. I'm kind of an introvert already. So, being inside my house for long hours of the day really doesn't bother me. I don't mind it. It's just having the luxury of just going to a grocery store for just no apparent reason. I miss that. I miss it. <laughs> <laughs> I miss touching everything that I don't need to touch. So, yes. but Touching yeah, random everybody... people. Yeah, random things. Giggity. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, but yeah, we hope everybody's staying healthy, staying safe. Please listen and stay in your house, damn it. Stay locked down. I don't want to get sick. I don't want you guys to get sick. Play it safe. All right. All right. Public That's disclaimer right. closed. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for tuning back in, everybody. Today, we've got a special episode for you. I'm pretty sure I say that every single time, but it is. It's an intriguing one. And you know how, yeah, you know how I like rehashing old episodes. And this one's kind of like a counterpart to some of the worst ways to die. They're mm-hmm. pretty brutal. And there's only three that we're going to go over. If you guys go back and listen to the Midsummer review that I did, one of the ritualistic killings shown in that movie is one that we're going to discuss so it's pretty bad yeah it's it's pretty bad i would not want to go that way no (laughs) so it's better to give than receive sometimes yeah yes (laughs) you want to be the dominator not the receiver or the giver the receiver yes (laughs) um but anyways today hugh's gonna start off with giving you the overview of our article and then we're gonna go back and forth on the brutal 
ritualistic Viking killings. Let's do it. All right. How you doing, everybody? Today's article comes from the postgradchronicles.org, and it's entitled, Blood Eagles, Fatal Walks, and Hung Meat, Assessing Giggity. Viking Torture, <laughs> circa yes. three years ago. An act of torture is rarely an act of finality in feud cultures. The family of the tortured man, whether he survives or not, will rarely allow such a deed to stand without vengeance. Damn. For that reason, it is rare to find examples of torture in saga literature, including the King Sagas, that Excluding. Olaf no. Tryggvason could be a bit <laughs> tense. This means that where saga authors do relate occasions of deliberate mutilation, they stand out within the literature and gain a certain amount of infamy. Yeah. So today's is a briefish post, a kind yes. of follow-up to our article on the body of law, which Mandy and I never discussed. No, uh, we're not looking go at, that. <laughs> at the logistics of some of the more famous acts of brutality from saga literature, both from a physical and literary perspective. The fatal walk of the Viking Brudir in the aftermath of the blood Battle of Klontarf, Hrathnikal, <laughs> Freyze Godi and his men being strung up by their heels, as well they should be with those names, and of course the infamous <laughs> Blood Eagle. What we will see in these instances of torture is that even when the act is physically possible, the sheer unlikeliness of the deed and the manner in which these violent interludes are deployed by saga authors recommends them more as literary tropes than genuine deeds. Man, that was like an eight-mile sentence. <laughs> which is Just a damn run-on. <laughs> Well, which is not to say that brutality did not occur in the Viking settlement cultures of Iceland, Ireland, and Britain during the yeah. period, or even that these accounts have origins and culture memories that evolved over time. But in this article, I want to focus on the acts as written. Disclaimer, we will only be as graphic as what is written in the saga texts, but there are descriptions of disbowelment, evisceration, and bodily torture. Dun, dun, dun. Listener discretion is advised. <laughs> now commencing the horrifying torture methods that the Vikings so brutally bestowed upon others. So let's dive into this. Number one, hung meat. And no, it's not talking about your dangle. Yeah, get your mind Stop out it. of the gutter, people. <laughs> so this is what the article has to say about hung meat. So first up, so I want to turn... Yes. <laughs> so first up, I want to turn to the torture sequence in Hrafnikles. Hrafnikles. <laughs> Damn it, I won't be able to pronounce any of these words. Saga phrase Goda. Which of our three examples has the greatest plausibility as a physical act of vengeance? So here is the quote from that saga. They took Hrafnikel and his men and tied their hands behind their backs. Then they broke into the storehouse and took some ropes down from a peg. Then they drew their knives and pierced holes through the men's heels behind the tendons Ugh. Yeah. and pulled the ropes through the holes. They threw the ropes over the beam and strung the eight of them up together. Ugh. So they hung them up behind, like upside down <laughs> right? by their ankles. Oh, right. damn, that's got to hurt like real Just bad. Just above the heel area. Yeah. Ugh. Have you seen the movie Hostel? The first one? No, I, I never saw it's pretty brutal. There's a scene in it where the guy's like sitting on a chair and the guy comes behind him and slices his ankles open. I don't know why that made me think of that. The ankle part. Ugh. 
<laughs> you know, I I did <laughs> see it on TV once, and it's pretty good. Just if as you like I was gore. like changing channels, yeah. Yeah, you're like, eh, eh, I won't come back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but th- yeah, just that made me think of it. So carrying on here. This is a logistical possibility. My first thought was that surely the Achilles tendon would not hold the full weight of the body. However, two things speak in favor of this being possible. Firstly, the tendon does support up to eight times a person's body weight while active. While the weight is obviously distributed more evenly than in this hanging position, it is a robust piece of the body. Secondly, across cultures, this is a traditional way for animal carcasses of all types to be hung to age the meat with hooks inserted between the bone and the tendon. This latter fact, however, may well indicate that we are dealing with a thor- Authorian invention. Authorial so, like, invention. Author- Does that mean fiction? Is that what they're yeah, like, trying like to be the witty with their terms? Made it up. Yeah. yeah. I want to sound witty here, so I'm going to make up a term. <laughs> the context for Hrafnickel's torture is found in a recently lost court case in which Hrafnickel had been outlawed. An outlaw's property was forfeit. However, with no centralized system of authority like a police force, such forfeiture could not be enforced against a powerful man like Frefnickel unless a force was gathered by his prosecutors to conduct a confiscation court at the property. This is exactly what had happened, and Hrafnickel was caught in bed with his enemies, or in bed by his enemies. So to, yeah, so to speak. <laughs> Correct my terms there. Who strung him up as the confiscation court was conducted and his property divided amongst the men in attendance. I would argue that Hrafnickel's prone body is intended to evoke the image of hung meat being stripped of its flesh. That's a nice image, thanks. <laughs> You're bad. Gross. It is a sophisticated piece of allegory by the author who creates a metaphorical allegory between butchered meat and the prone Hrafnickel being stripped of his property. While the author creates a reasonable verisimilitude in the small details of this incident, <laughs> whatever, that, whatever the hell that means. Uh, that so, guy had to pay a lot of money to come up with that word. Someone, yeah, this guy is clearly a college scholar. Yeah. <laughs> Such as describing the blood running to Hafnickel's eyes as he hung there. I think what we are dealing with is a literary construct in a well-thought-out piece of saga writing. So basically, I'm, I'm going to just stop it there. This guy just keeps going on on his own opinion. Uh, he's basically saying he thinks that this is more so just fiction. He doesn't think this was actually a method of torture. But let's just put that in your minds, that this could have actually happened. Yeah, there's a lot of cultures out there, a lot of cultures that dominate other cultures, and they want to be boss. So this is a very likely way that they could have brutally, ritualistically killed somebody. Uh, whether it's actual fiction or nonfiction, mm, it's up for debate, but I could actually see this being plausible, especially since, you know, they do it to animals. They could probably do it to people if they deem those humans as being lesser than themselves. So I'm going to end it there because that guy just keeps carrying on and I can't take it he anymore. Does. He goes on. He witty terms. Or is it blithers? <laughs> I don't know. Blithers. And Rathnickel kind of sounds like you're sneezing. Yeah, Rathnickel sounds like some sort of a, uh, I don't know, like a suppressed uh, fart or something. Um Rathnickel. Basically. Now, we're on to the fatal walk. Yeah. Let's turn next to Brodeer and Jal's saga. Brodeer was a Viking mercenary at the famous Battle of Clontorf in Ireland. And Jal's saga places the responsibility for the death of the Irish high, Brian Baru, at his feet. 
Messengers ran to tell pursuers that King Brian had fallen. Ophereda and Kurth Jafal turned back at once. <laughs> they surrounded Brodeur and his men and smothered their weapons with branches. Brodeur is now taken prisoner. Ophereda slid open his belly and led him around an oak tree and in this way pulled out his intestines. Brodeur did not die until they had all been pulled out of him. Here's a fact you never wanted to know. If the intestines alone are removed from the body, a person can continue to live a very unpleasant existence for hours. But that is not precisely what we see here. Firstly, Ulf was not working with surgical precision, and any incision in the belly would have caused significant blood loss. Secondly, Ulf then had a good rummage around to find a loop of intestine to attach to the tree. These two acts, along with the associated shock, make it unlikely Bruru survived to undertake the <laughs> fatal walk. But if he did, he knew death was imminent. He was in insufferable pain, and he was getting weaker by the second. I will absolutely not be convinced that even in an honor culture, Oof somehow managed to motivate the dying man to his feet to unwind his guts around a tree. It is simply not believable. What we see in Brudeau's favorite fatal walk is an intrusion of hagiography, whatever that means, in his saga literature. Brudeau's fatal walk is a mode of death whose first textual recording is in a 12th century saint's lifestyle account of the death of the Anglo-Saxon royal Alfred Etherling, an event of political importance and therefore extensively recorded in annals that predate the narrative, none of which note the Etherling's evisceration. In the annals yeah. that predate. You can, you can say it either way, I suppose. Well, literally, I mean, hey, it's talking about intestines. It's death deep. And the, and the recorded annals... <laughs> Similarly, none of the extensive contemporary records make mention of Brodeur's evisceration in the aftermath of the Battle of Klontorf. Yeah. In detail, the fatal walk is likely hagiographical. That's H-A-G-I-O-G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-L. Yeah. Period. Yeah. However, there is little reason to doubt the place of a mutilation motif within the narrative as something contemporaneous with the story it told. In the case of Alfred, when he was captured by political enemies upon landing in England, he was blinded to negate his claims to the throne. This act of mutilation is an element in the accounts of his death from their earliest redactions and, in the 12th century account, the fatal walk simply takes place while still performing the same literary function. That the saint figure underwent an ordeal was known, whether the detail of that ordeal was forgotten or embellished does not negate the motif as a preservation of oral memory. Blah, blah, blah. As it is not reasonable to presume the man who had killed the Irish king, as Purdue was reported to have done, and that that Irish king was Brian Baru, by the way, to go back. And, yeah. You know, there's so many, like, eight-syllable words in here that people would likely have tuned out by now. Yeah, um, I mean, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> would suffer a brutal reprisal that grew in the telling with the fatal walk providing the Jals saga author a convenient and suitably gruesome tableau. I don't like this author. I'm just going to come out no. and say it. <laughs> he, he sounds like some real arrogant dickhead. He's like writing like, it with his nose stuck yeah, in the air. <laughs> yeah. Same Which with is a our, quill pen. 
Yeah. Just this real arrogant look in his face. Yeah, the snooty pumps ass. All right, that's the impression we get from his writing. The last one's my personal favorite, and it's the Blood Eagle. Woo! Not so exciting for the person it's happening to. No, this is a bad one. Uh, This was actually outlined in the movie Midsummer. Wow, my voice just went, like, way high there. I'm like, oh! (laughs) (laughs) This movie was outlined in my review of Midsummer. If you guys haven't listened to that yet, go listen to it. I love it. It's a good movie. And it outlines ritualistic killings, and this is one of them. And it's bad. When he finds the guy... Yeah. when (laughs) When he finds the guy who is strung up like a blood eagle... It's mortifying looking. They even jam flowers in the guy's eyes. It's it's gross. So cool. It's it's horrifying to see, at least in my opinion. So the blood eagle. Back to the article here. I have saved the contentious one until last. The blood eagle, quote unquote. There has been significant scholarly debate around the motif since Roberta Frank told us all in 1984 that it was a misinterpreted fictionalization of the common quote unquote beast of battle motif. This is to say that the descriptions of the blood eagle are intended to describe the eagle, one of the beasts of battle, feasting on the backs of the carrion. Rory McTurk, in turn, in parentheses, among others, has defended the accounts as a genuine cultural memory of ritualized execution or sacrifice, and over the past 30 years, both arguments have been extensively re-examined as scholars have taken up positions anywhere between those two positions. So again, they're trying to debate if it actually happened, if people actually were executed or sacrificed this way, which I would say probably. <laughs> I'm just going to say, yeah, more than likely people were killed this way, and it's it's pretty bad. Uh, and you'll know why very, uh, very shortly. Giving the motif even more fame... I believe, as a non-watcher, that the TV show Vikings... This is him talking. I've seen that show, and I love it. So shut the hell up, author. (laughs) That the TV show Vikings depicted it as a genuine execution method, giving it a semblance of confirmed reality to the popular imagination. So what is it? There are only two, or three, instances of the Blood Eagle recorded across four or five texts. Man, this guy's, uh... He knows his stuff. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe four, maybe three, maybe five. Yeah. First, the death of Halfdan, Longlegs, the son of Norwegian king, at the hands of the Orkney Earl Torf Einar in the 13th century, and I'm not going to say this name properly, Orkneyinga <laughs> Saga. Orkneyinga. Yeah. It no is wonder described. they killed each other. I mean, They hate each other's names. Yeah, Damn. They just hate the <laughs> shit out of their names. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. It's making me crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is what it has to say in that weirdly named saga. There they found Halfdan Longleg, and Einar made them carve an eagle on his back with the sword, and cut the ribs all from the backbone, and draw the lungs there out, and gave him to Odin for the victory he had won. And then they're going to go on to the article, continues on with another depiction of the blood eagle. So I'll just read that instead of continuing on what he says. He cut an eagle on his back after this fashion that he thrust a sword deep into his back and cut all the ribs right down to his rump, drawing out his lungs through the wounds. And then there's one last uh, depiction here, and this was apparently described in Pater Afragnar's Sonum as such. They now had the eagle cut in Ayala's back, then all his ribs severed from the backbone with a sword, in such a way that his lungs were pulled out through there. So, 
that's basically what it is. <laughs> they take a sword, they gouge out basically the wing imprint in somebody's back, and then break your ribs, they pull your lungs out through the wounds, and can you imagine how painful that is? I guess I mean, your come ribs on. look like <laughs> your, your lungs look like little wings sticking yeah, out. They, they, the way they did it in the movie Midsummer is they pulled the guy's wing or the wings, they pulled his <laughs> ribs out and basically wrapped the lungs around the, the rib cage so it looked like wings. Yeah. And it's just so gross looking. And just imagine the pain somebody who had to endure this had to go through. Uh, this article keeps going on and on and on. But essentially, this is what happens. is They cut the shape of an eagle into the back of the victim. They cut the ribs away from the spine. Gross. And then they reach in and pull out the lungs to resemble eagle wings. So, mm-hmm. yes. And this article keeps going on with his long... Uh, jargon, so I'm not going to make you guys suffer through any more of that. But it's a good article because it outlined these three Viking, these brutal Viking torture and execution methods. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't just be for torture. I mean, it is torturous, but you would die from these. (laughs) There's no way you could survive these, basically. Yeah, it would sting. Yeah, the only one I can think of somebody surviving would be the the hung meat one because they're literally just cutting through the the tendon in your leg, like in your ankle. But yeah. I mean, if they were to cut you down, you could, you might be able to survive it if there's not like an infection or anything, but out of the other two, yeah, you would survive that one over, you know, the fatal walk and blood Eagle. Yeah. So bad. Pulling your guts <laughs> out. Yeah. yeah. Pulling your guts out, pulling your lungs out, making you look like a, an Eagle. That's horrifying. So I don't know which one I'd prefer to be honest. I don't want any of them. Yeah. <laughs> No. No, thank you. Uh, Yeah, they're all, I would say, pretty bad. So this is a continuation of Worst Ways to Die. Here's three more for you. We wanted to come back with some good, horrific ways to die. So here we are. We hope you catered to your your gory needs. So Yes. Yeah. Some uh, hard-hitting ancient torture. Yeah. Nothing better than that. How do you guys like our new intro music, by the way? Do you like that? I like it. Go give our friend Phantom87 a listen. I, uh, I'll link his info down in the description box, but he's great. He, he does a lot of music. He's real talented, so yeah, give him a listen. If you, yeah, if you guys are ever in the market for you know music, if you, if you want him to create like a personalized song for you, he can do that. You know, Give him a look. Give him a listen. Let him know we sent you. And thank you very much to him. His name's Matt. Thank you, Matt, for creating our awesome intro. We will be using it from now on. (laughs) And I'm so sorry, everybody, but I'm going to do it again. If you haven't already, you go ahead on over to iTunes and leave us a review, preferably five stars. Let us know how damn awesome we are, because we know we are. (laughs) We don't need you to tell us, but it makes (sighs) it better. Yeah, let it rip all over the place let everybody know how great we are uh and also if you guys want access to extra awesome content go ahead and give our patreon a look for as low as just a dollar a month you guys get bonus episodes each week you get entered into giveaways you get shout outs tons of incentives you can check out the tiers in the link below and give us a look your support is highly appreciated give us uh give us some love we give you love right back oh yeah you got it <laughs> but don't thanks. turn your back on the love Yeah, damn it, hug me. (laughs) But thanks for tuning in, everybody. Bye. Bye.